Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And this week's topic covers a body called the Wagner Group and its role in wars and conflicts playing out right now across the globe. Keith, could you explain to us what this group is and who's involved in it? Yeah, so the reason that um, I'm intrigued about this is that the Wagner Group are on the lookout for President Zelensky. They've been tasked, we understand, with getting him killed. So he's obviously the major spokesperson in the Ukrainian resistance, the Russian invasion. And so this Wagner group is a group of mercenaries who um, do all the dirty work for the Russian government. So mercenaries have been around in warfare since warfare began. So they're a group of people that you employ to fight your wars for you rather than having to rely on your own citizens. So mercenaries were very popular, for example, in the European Middle Ages. Machiavelli, in his book on politics, actually says don't employ mercenaries because when the money runs out, they run out. It's much better to have what we would call conscription and mobilise people via a sense of nationalism and patriotism and get them to die for their country rather than dying for money. And so mercenaries have have gone in and out of uh, favour And this article by um, Lawrence Whitner, an American uh, professor of history, and this article is published in the History News Network newsletter, is looking at this um, group and it calls it um, the Wagner Group is just the latest example of privatised warfare. And I think that's a very good way of describing it. So uh, what is happening in this case, it's the Russian government that is relying on the outsourcing of uh, fighting of wars. And as I say, one of its tasks is to kill President Zelensky. And that's also then reviving the whole issue about, you know, how how do you actually fight a war? Do you rely on patriotism and relying on mothers to supply you with a new army every 18 years? Or do you just go into the open market and just try to recruit people who will serve you? The French Foreign Legion is a great example of this. The Pope has a group of mercenaries, those people who wear actually the uniforms designed by Michelangelo. Wow, Very really? colourful. They're more of a tra- tourist attraction than anything else. Yeah. But, of course, in, in previous centuries, popes have gone to war. Mm. They have had armies, they've had navies, and they've used mercenaries. And so the remnant of that tradition is the um, papal guard, which is drawn from Swiss bachelors. Okay. So they have a very narrow <laughs> recruitment system. Whether they're becoming more internationalised since I was last in Switzerland, I, d- I don't know. The Swiss used to boast that they provide the the guard for the for the Pope. So we have this long history. Now this group, this, the Wagner Group, that we're looking at in this article, uh, was founded in 2014 by Dmitry Yudkin, who's a Western military, uh, sorry, a Russian military veteran. And he's a great admirer of Adolf Hitler. So he called the group after Hitler's favourite composer, Wagner. Uh So it's actually the Wagner group. The Wagner group. Yeah. And the money for financing the group initially came from a Russian oligarch with close ties to President Vladimir 
Putin. And they were able, um, Utkin and his financial backer, were able to recruit a lot of unemployed Russian soldiers. So we're talking about almost a decade ago, you've got uh, Russia just gradually trying to recover itself, but a lot of its defence forces at the end of the Cold War were just simply sent home uh, with nothing to do, no income or anything. And so this group was formed to select some of those people to then work behind the scenes in this um, type of operations. And so um, the Wagner Group's first significant operation came in 2014 when the Russian government dispatched about a 1,000 of the company's armed soldiers wearing unmarked uniforms. They were called by the Ukrainians the little green men, and they went into the regions of Luhansk and Donetsk in eastern Ukraine to support the pro-Russian separatists who were rebelling against the government of the Ukrainian. So that's that's some of the background to it. And it's turned out to be a very vicious group. And, it's, and as I say, it's a highly controversial move to employ these mercenaries. In the 1960s and 70s, we had mercenary groups being employed. Uh, they were called the dogs of war. And the United Nations tried to ban them through the mercenary convention. The problem is just trying to define what is a mercenary soldier without offending the Pope or the French with their French Foreign Legion, etc. It's a very difficult process. Yeah, it's always one of those things where the UN kind of feels hamstrung, I guess, where you've got all these different interests and you're trying to please everyone. I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Lawrence S. Whitner, who who wrote this article where we're chatting about today, he said, well, he claims the Wagner Group is perhaps the leading enterprise partner in global military ventures. What does that actually mean? And would you agree with that assessment? I think so, yes. Um, in um, the United States, you've got a, a similar group, which uh, has been run by Eric Prince. So um, that, if you like, in the interest of capitalism, you've got these competing mercenary groups. And so the American version is called Blackwater, and Eric Prince has um, actually suggested that um, Blackwater be sent into Ukraine. So you then end up with a battles going on between the American mercenaries versus the, the Russian mercenaries. So you end up being fought out in Ukraine. Of course, um, Blackwater have been involved in a variety of operations in the Middle East. So, yes, I think that at the moment the leading group in all of this work is is the Wagner Group for the Russians. But eventually, of course, others will follow this example of employing mercenaries. It simplifies your life immensely when the people are expendable. So you don't have to worry about bringing the dead bodies home, explaining them to next of kin. We've seen that, by the way, in Iraq, where the Americans give coverage to dead American service personnel, but not the hundreds of Americans who have been employed by private contractors like Blackwater who have perished. They're just ordinary private citizens. They're doing a job. They get their head blown off. No publicity. No... um, ornamental um, funeral or anything like that, uh, ramp ceremonies as we call them in this country, Um, none of that. It seems a little cold, doesn't it? (laughs) Capitalism. Yeah, good point. (laughs) What am I talking about? You know, it's it's the market (laughs) system. There's no morality involved. People are just employed to do a job. They die. Well, that's the way it goes. This is, for some people, the advantage of employing mercenaries because you don't have to worry about them. And if you go to work for the French Foreign Legion, they they make it quite clear, we're not going to be in a position to rescue you. And it's the Legion that gets sent in 
on the most uh, desperate of missions. And that's what builds up the legend of the French Foreign Legion, that they go in when the situation is desperate, when all is lost, you send in the Legion, which consists of people who are not French citizens. Are there any other reasons that a country might use mercenaries, aside from what you've just explained? Is is there any other benefit? Oh, I think, well, depending on um, what your attitude is towards um, the laws of war, obviously as somebody who, my first PhD was in the laws of war, so obviously I'm somebody who's very critical of the employment of mercenaries. But the advantage of mercenaries would be, one is deniability, that you just simply say, they're not our people, right? We have nothing to do with what's going on, which, remember, this is the little green men argument of Putin, that suddenly you ended up with these individuals without any indications as to rank or army in which um, involved in this uh, operation in eastern Ukraine. Very worrying. Now, so if you were to capture them, are they protected as a prisoner of war under the Geneva Conventions? So that, that's the downside of being captured. From the Russian point of view, deniability. We don't have any Russian soldiers in Ukraine. And this is a 2014 argument, which was probably true, but these were ex-Russian soldiers working on a Russian contract and probably being paid by the Russian government. So kind of a, they get off on a technicality almost. Exactly, yeah. yeah that gotcha. gives them the deniability. And if you have, as I say, ca- significant casualties among those soldiers um, or mercenaries, well, there's nothing to do with us. That's a private company. Take it up with the CEO of the, of the company. Nothing to do with the Russian government or the American government in the case of Blackwater. I think it's a, it's a uh, concept that not many ordinary citizens of a country would know about. For me, like I've, you know, never really understood what a mercenary is or what they do. So it's fascinating to me. You are listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, and this week we're discussing the privatisation of global wars through mercenaries. Now, Keith, this group we're discussing today, the Wagner Group, it, it is in some ways shrouded in mystery. Uh, its its known manager denied its existence. Why is that? Well, because I think that this is the whole purpose of employing mercenaries, that in fact you you just want to be able to separate yourself from the deeds being carried out. So these are the people who are not interested in laws of war, they're not interested in taking care of uh, prisoners of war, no respect for um, civilians, etc. And so they they really do the dirty, dangerous, unpleasant work. As I say, one of their tasks at the moment is to find President Zelensky and, and shoot him. And so this is sort of work that you like to, as a, from a politician's point of view. It just m- means that they're completely separate from what's going on. You're not going to be held accountable for what they're doing. And the Russians, as they seek to get involved in more and more conflicts around the world, particularly in the Middle East and Africa, are relying more and more on groups like the Wagner Group. You touched on it a little bit before. Is the use of mercenary groups something that should be tackled by global bodies like the UN? Well, that's what um, Whitner is arguing. The problem is that it's actually very difficult. As I say, I lived through the trying to ban the mercenaries because of the experience we had with them in Africa in the um, 60s and 70s. It's actually very difficult to try to do it because at the end of the day, governments might well find a need to have mercenaries. Now, we had a mercenary crisis in Papua New Guinea, oh golly, 30 years ago when the PNG government employed a group of mercenaries 
to put down a rebellion inside PNG, Papua New Guinea. Uh, so we've actually had experience of mercenaries very close to Australian shores. And so governments, I think, although they will publicly say, oh, mercenaries are appalling, they don't respect human rights, they don't follow the laws of war, at the same time are probably grateful that they're there because at an hour of need, they will go looking for them. Yeah, and you get to use them and then your interest is served, I guess. In this article uh, written by Dr. Whitner, he also mentions a similar sort of program, I suppose, being used in the US. You mentioned Blackwater before. In the lens of the Wagner Group as well, are we likely to see mercenaries being used more and more or do you think their role will kind of stay the same in future wars? No, I think warfare is changing and I think there's going to be more scope for mercenaries. So in the old days, we used to have large standing armies who would fight each other, two world wars being a classic example, or even the Korean War. And I think that um, that, is, that is beginning to change now. I think that warfare is going to be... Um, much less destructive in terms of huge numbers of people who are fighting. So you'll have people who are very skilled in the use of, of technology. And again, you know, when I joined the war office, which was half a century ago, I was dealing with forms uh, which soldiers could not read and they just put in where it says signature that they had read it, they just simply put a cross. So in those days, you know, the, the, we were dealing with people who are, not particularly well-educated, and officers had to read out material to them and they would then put a cross on the form saying, yes, I have had this read out to me. This is changing now because soldiering is becoming a much more professional activity and people are much better trained. So we have smaller numbers, but they're much more effective, I think, than just putting up thousands of soldiers to kill each other, like World War One and trench warfare. The name for that is the war of attrition, that if we go to war and I've got a million troops, but you've got 1.2 million, the theory is that you would then win. So we're moving away from that era. And instead, warfare is becoming much more sophisticated, for which you require uh, good soldiers, not the the use of phrase that we use in those days, PBI, poor bloody infantry. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're moving away from the PBI. Yep. And we're um, developing soldiers who are very skilled, and these are skills that they can then take into the marketplace and earn a lot of money. Somebody I, I knew years ago was um, a bodyguard for Nelson Mandela. So this is actually an Australian employed by the South African government to protect Nelson Mandela. And um, uh, he also served in the Middle East. And that's where his income came from. Huge sums of money are paid as private contractors so if you're young and physically fit with a sense of adventure and can put up with a pretty rough existence, sleeping on floors, et cetera, then you can actually make a good living, I think, as a mercenary until, of course, you get captured and then shot dead. And then no one ever finds you <laughs> no, again. No, exactly. So the body just disappears. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think, yes, there is a future for mercenaries. Now, I, I'm not endorsing that because my, obviously my view is that I support the laws of war. I want to have restrictions placed on the way in which war is fought. But being a realist, one has to acknowledge that governments find mercenaries very useful to employ. Now, I'm not sure that Australia would actually have need to employ mercenaries, certainly not in the foreseeable future, but who knows? You know, Papua New Guinea, our near neighbour, ended up employing a guerrilla, uh, um, a mercenary group to help with their operations. So you never know when it is when you're up and your back's up against the wall and you need to have a good, reliable, efficient 
well-trained force. And so uh, you go out onto the open market and employ people. The Wagner Group is a little different because it clearly serves only Russian national interests. So the Americans, for example, couldn't employ the Wagner Group Mm -hmm. to fight the Russians in Ukraine. So they're not completely (laughs) without political principles. And I guess the same with Blackwater. Uh, But you could easily imagine lots of other mercenary groups just simply saying, as as they did in the Middle Ages, we'll work for whoever's going to pay us the most. Is it a cost-effective way of doing war, using mercenaries? Uh, It's expensive, but it may well be cost-effective, you know, to do the dirty, dangerous operations that you probably may not want to risk your own soldiers because you would then end up with a political backlash at home, as the Americans found, you know, the people being killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so it's very tempting. If you use pure dollars, it's a very expensive way of operating. But at the same time, if you think of it in terms of political terms, spin, uh, maintaining public support for your operation, I think there are arguments for mercenaries. I'm not endorsing the mercenaries, but I'm just simply saying, as a realist, one has to recognise that governments do find need for mercenaries from time to time. Well, as always, Keith, it's something we'll have to keep watching out for. And it's been a fascinating chat. Also, as always, thanks for your time. Thank you. Listener.